This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Micheline Nijme is a three-time CMO and currently the CMO of Zscaler. But even 2020 has brought on new challenges for this veteran marketer. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Micheline discusses how she and her team at Zscaler navigated a crisis no one saw coming. Plus, she dives into why marketing is no longer just about the advertising dollars you spend and how first-time CMOs can successfully adapt to their new roles. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we have special guest, Micheline. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. So we are going to dive into your background uh, and everything that's going on at Zscaler right now. But before we get into uh, to that, how did you get started in marketing? Gosh, um, I've always been interested in marketing back in my school days, <laughs> which goes way back. Um, always been interested in human behavior. Why do people act a certain way? Why do they make decisions? And really marketing is just that. Um, I did um, similar to you, jumped into sales um, to, to start off my career and from there went to sales enablement. But really, marketing has always, and you know, I've been always affiliating, affiliated with marketing and have um, always enjoyed learning about people and learning how they make their decisions, whether it's having online or offline dialogue. And from there, I went from sales to marketing, never looked back. So flash forward to today, what does it mean to be the CMO of Zscaler? Well, for us, it's a it's a big responsibility. We're we're accountable for many things. Um, we're responsible for being customer champions, global revenue drivers, storytellers. Really, our job is to increase um, whether it's visibility, drive business across all the different platforms and different channels, online and offline. And it's more than just the marketing piece. As a CMO, we're leaders, right? And we have to lead geographically dispersed teams how to bring out the best performance in those teams, how to ensure collaboration, because we are, especially at Zscaler and the companies before, we're, we're globally distributed. So we need to make sure we communicate well, but we're good listeners and, and coaches. And the one thing I tell my team is that my job is to remove all obstacles for you so you can do the best work. And so most of the time I'm, I'm focused on that and making sure that they're, you know, they're, they're doing their best work every day. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I I always think of uh, of things like that as well. Did you kind of go into something with this role, like those first ninety days, a little different since you've been a CMO a couple of times before that? Yeah, I think learning as a as a CMO over you know the first couple of times, you don't want to go in and make decisions. It's you want to go in and observe the first ninety days you know, learn what's working, what's not. I literally met, um, we've about 90 people or so on the team, literally met with every single person on the team, no matter what role they were in, uh, what, where they were um, located, just met them and did 30 minute meetings, some were longer and wanted to learn what was working, what's not. So that was my first 
first thing that I did, and then met with all the different key stakeholders, and then started to build plans and started to kind of figure out, okay, well, let's make sure the internal house is, is working well, it's efficient, um, we're, we're collaborating, we're, we're making sure that we're focused, we have, we have the right goals in place, so really kind of made sure the in-house part was working, and then started putting plans together in terms of, okay, well, how do we look at it externally? What do we want to do from a, from a business standpoint? How do we run the business? And, you know, the normal thing from demand gen is the funnel working and into the brand component. So was there a time kind of in that, in that early, uh, in that early kind of those days where, you know, you've, you've worked in multiple different technology companies where you kind of felt like you knew, especially from a demand gen perspective, kind of like the plays that you wanted to run and things like that. Um, and you kind of were ready to, uh, ready to get going. It's not 90 days, but it's, you kind of do it in parallel, right? Because if you're in a fast paced organization, especially like company like Zscaler and previous companies where I've worked at, you, you don't always have the luxury to do that. I think some people are patient with you as you decide, but it is, it is flying the plane and, and building it at the same time. So um, for me, it wasn't, I didn't want to make any personnel decisions right away. I wanted to observe, but from an external perspective, we didn't want to slow down the business either. So for me, I slowed down on the personnel, got to know who they were, what's working, what's not. On the external piece, we wanted to make sure we continued with um, the plays that we had in, you know, in running and then continue at the same time building towards it. So it, it is a juggling and balance act that we have to go through, but I think it's necessary. But making decisions, like many CMOs come in and like, let's change the website, let's um, create a new logo. And that's not something that I looked at first. I wanted to make sure we had the right engine, the right process, and we were built for a foundation for high growth. That was my number one, because once you're in the middle of it, it's too late, right? You don't have time. Right now we're, we're running so fast. Sometimes you forget to slow down to take the time to build. And that was my way of saying, I get the luxury of kind of a couple of months to really, um, you know, listen and understand and then quickly start to build. Well, and obviously being, you know, publicly traded has a, has an additional, additional kind of, you know, level of responsibilities and a change. Was that, was that something that you had kind of been prepared for already? Yes. My previous company was public, uh, publicly traded. And for us, my, what I've learned, and actually it's revalidated in both companies, but much more in Zscaler, continue focusing on what's important. And for us, it was customer continue focus on making sure that we are we were providing the best service that we could to our to our customers and our future customers and all the other things that come in play it's part of life and it's it's something that we know if you're planned ahead and you're prepared we have an amazing IR team, we have an amazing finance team um, that make it seem so easy. I know how hard they work, but if we're planned ahead, then it kind of works like a machine. And I was lucky enough to come in and have a machine already in place and I already have done it um, at a previous company. So for listeners who don't know uh, or maybe aren't as familiar with cybersecurity in general, um, can you share a little bit about what Zscaler does and how you go to market? 
Cloud and mobility are key factors that have enabled digital transformation for a lot of different companies and enterprises. But what we found is that the challenges that they undergo is that how do they secure this new work when you think about where employees are, are accessing their apps because all their applications have moved to the cloud. So they're no longer in the office. They're at coffee shops, airports, and unfortunately nowadays we're all stuck at our homes, in our homes. So IT organizations um, tra traditionally had their applications in their data centers and they built this kind of perimeter to secure it. When the apps have moved to all to the cloud and employees are accessing remotely, there's nothing to protect. And that's what Zscaler has done about 10, 11 years ago, 11 plus years ago now, is that Zscaler pioneered this um, cloud security in this industry. We built this platform that really allows users access their applications securely, no matter where they're located, no matter what device, no matter what network. And that's what we do. We sit between the user and the internet, so to ensure that they're getting the access um, they, they need seamlessly, but they're also getting the security they look at um, seamlessly. They don't notice that they're even being secured because it works um, beautifully. And so that's what we've been doing is providing that secure access um, to, to data. How do you think about, you know, positioning um, the product and, and as a piece of, of this, uh, of the transformation kind of landscape and where security fits in? Because it's like security is such a necessary part of digital transformation, um, but CIOs and technology leaders are inundated with things like all the time of like, you know, it seems like every single thing is, is, a, is a different fire, a different day for their digital transformation. So how do you position like security as, you know, and your, your product as, you know, a, a pillar of a, a need to have right now versus kind of like the endless sprawl that is digital transformation, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. So we, Zscaler's key value is to empower employees to work productively and safely from anywhere. And since this crisis happened, IT organizations had to like quickly build a plan to help their employees work, move from the office into their homes. But as you have probably read, there's thousands and thousands of um, different cyber attacks that are happening once you work at home. So the IT organization had to quickly, like a matter of days, figure out, well, will my employees be able to access their apps remotely? Will they be able to access them security? What's the impact of their security posture? Um, can even my IT team provide support from, from home? Those are the things that they had to um, grapple with in days. And um, a silver lining from that is that companies actually reached out to us because we had that value prop, that benefit, that value add, um, asking us to help their employees get up and running in a matter of days. Um, one example, we had a global 100 company, and this is one of hundreds, um, that were was ready using Zscaler, our internet access solution, and they were able to move their employees, about 120,000 employees, to their home in about three weeks. And we were able to give them our Zscaler private access, which allows them to access 
internal applications such as their HR apps, whether it's on SAP or any any applications that they normally would um, access, but securely ensuring that um, they were able to get their, their, their employees up and running quickly. And if you think about it, companies are using VPN and who likes yeah. VPN? <laughs> I don't know when the last time I've used VPN. And with Zscaler, you don't have to use that. It's just a seamless um, accessibility. So it's been really inspiring. Um, all the stories that customers have been posting on their own, it's been really, really cool to see because I think they've been so proud of getting their employees yeah. home safely and um, also up and running quickly. That's a great story. I'm curious, like, how do you, um, how do you expand those stories? Like, what types of things is your team thinking about? When this all happened, we reached out to all our customers and our, the first thing we wanted to do is make sure that they were safe and secure. That was our number one priority besides our employees, of course. Um, but when they started seeing, we started seeing this re- these requests, um, especially when it started in China back, gosh, in January, February timeframe, um, we, we said first we got to help them out. So we, we provided um, our services um, to them. And then from a marketing side, we, we just, we would um, invite them to speak to other customers and other um, potential customers. So we hosted many um, little virtual events to speak to others and be able to answer questions because everybody was in crisis mode, right? We were kind of in crisis management to help our customers. We wanted to make sure that they were able to get what they needed quickly. And then we started seeing new customers come in and ask us for the same because our own customers would post on their LinkedIn. We would blog about it, of course, with their approval. We, we held um, virtual mini, um, mini senior executive events that, um, that we hosted with our, with our own CEO, and we held many of them in a matter of days. All we wanted to do was make sure that our customers knew exactly what, what we were able to do for them and then share the other customer stories. And that kind of just, you know, beautiful marketing at work. It just, it, it, it really, again, it wasn't meant to be a marketing program. It was meant to be a program to really support the, the needs, but it kind of um, viral effect was just really um, beautiful. Well, and you have, uh, I always think it's such a great advantage for cybersecurity companies when you can have uh, on the website, the, the cyber risk assessment or, or you know, whatever it is. Um, but for you all, you know, if you, if, if for our listeners, if you just go to zscaler.com, you can click on cyber risk assessment. Um, and like, what an awesome tool to be able to put in front of people to say, you know, like take a minute and, and kind of do this. Right. Absolutely. And, um, we recently just, um, created a blog. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but because of all the different, um, cyber attacks, um, we've been seeing that were COVID-19 themed, um, in January, we saw, I think, about 1,200 cyber um, themed, COVID-themed cyber attacks. In March, we saw 380,000 um, that we blocked. Obviously, we saw and blocked for our own customers. 380,000. It's just crazy, so insane crazy. number to see. And, and there's so many things that people don't realize that they're, you know, you click on, it's easy, right? An employee can click on a link. They don't know it's not um, a real link. Um, they open up an attachment. It's just, they're getting so good. Uh, it's just, they get so good at um, faking it and we don't realize. So having this kind of always on security that we provide for our own customers 
no matter where they are, is, is, has been validated for us on, on its own because of this unfortunate um, incident, unfortunately, this crisis that we were in. But in reality, it helped people realize, especially the IT organizations, we need a business continuity um, program. We cannot, we, you know, yes, we have the virus that's happening now, which is, you know, in, it's a pandemic, but what's the next one? And I think it's become so real that um, people are just realizing how, you know, how unplanned or unorganized, um, not organized, but just they're not ready, right? They're not ready for these types. And the hackers are taking advantage of it daily. It's been that's how what we see. One of the challenges about cybersecurity is that uh, you probably have some amazingly good customer stories that you can never share. Um, so I'm curious, how do you yes. deal with like anonymizing stories and being able to tell a, a coherent narrative there? Yeah, well, Zscaler is, is you know, obviously a cloud security platform, but really what we do, we empower enterprises to transform digitally. We make it faster. We make it more simple to, um, to move to the cloud. And that's the story we tell. Um, we, we tell that story because we can securely move them to the cloud because once, again, your employees are accessing applications that are from anywhere, how do you secure that? They're no longer this perimeter in the data center in this kind of what they call the secured network. They don't have that anymore. So they need a security um, solution to help support them move to the cloud. And when you tell that story, customers are not afraid to tell that because it's really about that digital transformation enablement versus it's a, just a security play. Because for us, it's more than that. How do you work on the brand? What types of things are you doing to enhance um, that kind of brand awareness, uh, those outside of demand gen activities, uh, those types of advertising or otherwise? Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a hard thing. Brand is a very, you know, multi-year approach. It starts with the customer. For me, it's really building that trust in the customer. So internally, when we think about the brand, let's make sure we have the right um, processes or, or people in place to help build that. Um, it's no longer about advertising because how many ads do you see <laughs> um, and that you don't even notice? Uh, it's no longer about the billboards, but it's really about how do we engage the customers that we know we want to um, influence. And so for us, it's been starting with the customers. And when if you go to our um, user conference, our Zenith Live, I mean, we have some really big brands um, that are standing up on stage um, both in Europe and in the U.S. talking about us. We have Siemens, we have GE, we have um, these large, you know, DHL. We have these large organizations that are willing to stand up and, and speak on our behalf. So that's kind of where it starts in brand building. And then, of course, there, you know, yes, we do um, all the different ads and so forth, but it's really starting with the customer and getting the word out um, and validating um, everything that we're saying we are. So it starts there. I'm curious, how has your event strategy um, kind of progressed over the years? And then specifically, how has it changed recently um, kind of during the crisis? 
Yes, for Zscaler, I'm not a big fan of huge trade shows. We have, since I joined, we have um, trimmed it to a point where we we do big trade shows, only like two or three that we we value in terms of the brand, in terms of the audience that attends there. But we are very big on kind of, I've been moving the, the balance from doing kind of third-party events to Zscaler hosted events. So I am a fan of doing Zscaler-led events. So we've moved from doing trade shows to more like user groups, roundtables, uh, workshops, as well as our user conference, which we've had our, you know, the last one um, was our fourth one that we did. So it was it's relatively new. and so. For for us, that's where we've seen lots of success in the field when they're more um, smaller events and very targeted and um, resonates with the audience. All of a sudden, when COVID hit, literally we, in a matter of, I think, three weeks, there were some events that we're planning that were ours. We flipped them to virtual and we said, gosh, what's going to happen? Are people going to show up? And we were so surprised in terms of how the response has been. So we've been hosting virtual workshops, virtual user groups. So we've been testing uh, as small as eight to nine people where we've helped, where we usually have a round table dinner with C-level execs. And now we're, we're, we've tested larger ones like 50, 60 people on Zoom. And we are able to um, support that and, and, and create engagement interaction. Over the last four weeks, we've learned quite a bit. How do we how do we make it more personal? How do we make it more interactive? Because we don't want it to be just a webcast, um, because it turns into a webcast if you start doing these. So we're 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 learning quickly, and we've seen some really amazing success. And I know life will not go back to the way it was. I don't think we'll be doing like we I've, I've canceled or not canceled but postponed our user conference physical conference to 2021. We won't hold it in 2020. And um, we're, we're working on and doing our own virtual events um, throughout next year. So that's where I think the world will be moving towards. I think we'll eventually get to physical events, but not the same as it ever was. Yeah, it's interesting to see the impact that you can have on those smaller scale um, events, the breakout rooms, the the personalized touches. I The thing I think people are going to be really hungry for is to get back to like those in-person meetings um, because there's so much that you can kind of get that depth of experience and like really get to know people and especially, you know, as you meet that stuff. But I think there's just so much that we can do, especially, especially globally, right? Because there's just so many people that just don't have the budget to fly, uh, you know, wherever it is, that's the closest place to, to have even a, a satellite event. I agree. I think we automatically said, let's just do an event. And we expect people to fly in from a physical side, but Virtually, we, we've opened it up to a broader list of group, and that's where we're seeing the response rate. But I also do agree that I think people will want that interactivity, that personal conversation. I think we still lack that kind of personal um, touch where you're just talking about, you know, something personal versus work, and you're getting to build that relationship. I think that's the hard part. Our CXO roundtables, we're keeping them very small. We're, um, we've actually did a personal shipment to them. Um, and we were able to, you know, 
do some fun things um, before, before, you know, they received the, our gift and we were able to kind of engage um, with them during that um, hour that we, we spent together. So we kind of, we're trying to make it as interactive as possible. And our own um, SEs have become creative in terms of hacking their way of creating this cool um, whiteboard, light boards, not white, but the actual light boards where they're, they're doing it all on their screen and they're creating these amazing backgrounds that enables them to show um, what's on the monitor, but a huge size. And it's, it's creativity has definitely come out and it's been kind of fun to watch because um, we never thought that this was the way the world going to be. But I think there'll be a balance, but it, we'll see more virtual. What about uh, content? How, how is that? Um, how have you approached that? Content in general for marketing, it hasn't changed for us. I think the content we build in the, in the events has been smaller, if that's what you're asking, smaller in um, the way we do it. So we don't hold a full hour event. We've shortened it. We, um, we no longer, we're th- rethinking how do we present on a topic. It's maybe smaller segments, right? 10 minutes each. Maybe we bring in a customer. We, we talk a little bit about Zscaler. We bring in a partner or whatever makes sense so that it's consumable. People have a hard time sitting, I think, more than two hours we're finding. Even though our we've done workshops and user groups for four hours and people have sat through many of it, most of it, um, and, and have engaged, not all of them, of course, um, but we are finding about an hour to two hours max. Um, but the smaller sea level are 45 minutes. There are no more than that. Do you have a favorite campaign uh, that you've done so far at uh, Zscaler? There's been so many great ones, but the one that I just mentioned, the work from home um, program, it didn't start off as a campaign, is probably the, the most memorable right now for me. We, we have a few of them that worked really well. We had an Office 365 uh, campaign that ran really well. This one hit home for me because when you think of you know, what success is for a CMO about a campaign is that you build a message that you know resonates with your audience and you see results in a matter of days, not even weeks. We saw results, people calling us, emailing us, texting us, thanking us, um, and then wanting to be a customer reference for us. That's like golden for, for a CMO. So this one's probably the most exciting given that I think people were in really, uh, you know, scared for their lives and in, in obviously in different parts of the world. And, um, and they were looking to us to, to, for help. And I'm, I'm, I just, every day when I hear these stories from our customers, I'm so inspired by them and humbled by the, their support that, um, and I, that, that this program, it really hits home for me. Yeah. That's really cool to hear. I I've been so inspired by how many, you know, teams, uh, and marketing leaders have been able to kind of retool on the fly and, and serve their customers better. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, obviously it's sad sad times, but it's cool to see their responses. Yeah, absolutely. So stepping back in kind of previous, uh, some of the previous stops in your career, obviously, you know, a stint at at our good friend Salesforce and sponsor of this podcast um, and a few others. I'm just curious, like how has marketing changed uh, with regards to technology uh, over the the past handful of years? 
Gosh, um, it's gotten, well, there's lots of technology, <laughs> too much sometimes that it's overwhelming knowing which one to, to use or not use. I feel I'm always a, um, an advocate for technology, so we're the first ones to always try new ones, so I love that about me and the team I bring on usually feels the same way, so we're no stranger to digital transformation in, within marketing. Um, how has it changed? It's data. Data has been probably the, the biggest change. Um, obviously, predictive um, in the last five years, six years, predictive has come a long way. Um, we There was a company I used to use and now I, I love, but when they first started, I said to them, you're kind of a black box. I don't know how you're coming up with this predictive stuff. And um, they evolved so much that now they're like a key, um, just a key asset to our um, the way we manage and the way we market they play a huge role and so for me it's been data um, has has been the most important because I can not only it's not data meaning analytics which also is has transformed but it's the data in terms of how do we personalize our engagement and our interaction interaction with our customers that has come a long way um, when account-based marketing came out a few years ago, I used to call that when I was in sales, I'm like, that's what you normally do is that you just, you find your accounts, you look them up, you understand them, and then you sell and market to them. <laughs> that's, that's old school, you know, old school selling. Now we just have technology. But the way now the technology allows you to do is um, how do they, when they click on something, you're able to provide them with something that is of value to them, or at least, you know, based on their history, um, we're able to um, learn about them. So we're feeding them and providing them with content that matters. Um, so technology has allowed us to be smarter. Um, some people can abuse that um, in terms of the information. I think sometimes they don't, they don't pay attention to how the data is provided and they may use it incorrectly. Um, so for our team, we make sure that we don't do this massive um, type of marketing personalization because you can't do that. That doesn't work very well. So we always try to focus on the on the accounts that we we want to focus on, and we really work hard on understanding and personalizing that um, the content that goes to them. I'm sure you've had uh, a ton of work with a lot of our good friends of the good friends of the show, uh, people like Nate Skinner and Lauren Vaccarello and Craig Swenzard and all sorts of, uh, of, of fun recurring guests that, uh, I'm sure you know, well, um, any, uh, beyond, beyond kind of just the, the, uh, the Salesforce, uh, mafia for, for lack of a better term, is there any like important advice that you got at some point in your career that really, uh, helped you to be able to, uh, to become a CMO and to, uh, to get where you, where you have a few times now? There's multiple, right? For me, the most probably thing, number one thing that I hold true is um, I've learned when I worked way before Salesforce, I used to work at Sun Microsystems and we used to do big marketing, big brand marketing. We didn't have the data to validate the big brand marketing. We, we didn't see those kind of details. So for me, it's anything that I do, I'm able to provide validation that it worked or did not work. If I don't do that, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at what I'm doing, at least um, 
having that visibility is so critical for the entire company because every dollar you spend, you should figure out how, you know, what the ROI is. So for me, the advice I've learned, and I started actually from Salesforce, is that we had so much data to, to help us understand our business and how to move forward. And I've been able to use that over and over, you know, since I've left um, and that's been really important to me and I think has helped in my, you know, demand generation, even brand or anything is that make sure you have the data to show or the results to show. Otherwise, just say I did a big brand campaign and pat ourselves on the back is, is not something that anyone wants to see anymore. Were you in Marketraz? I was. Yes, we, <laughs> we so I worked with um, Craig and Sean and I mean, they were all on the same team. We yeah. were on the platform team and chatter team. Um, we were, we were part of the chatter crew. Yeah. That's so funny. So we're, uh, we've had Craig on a few times, but we're working on a demand gen podcast together and it's just funny. Uh, he was like, if you say the word market to any of the people that were around, they'll know exactly uh, what it is. So that's too funny. No one will forget those times. It was a different time where, you know, it was much smaller and scrappy and, you know, we, it was just an amazing ride. You, know, you couldn't do anything wrong and we tested a lot of stuff, worked long days and nights, but it was just amazing fun. You know, I'm, I'm curious, um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of leading during a crisis and, and kind of the business side of things. I'm just curious, like, how have you been motivating your, your team personally? Like, what are some of the things that you're doing to try to kind of break up the monotony, help, uh, help people be able to, to do great work, but also to be able to take time for themselves as they need to, as, as it's uh, more important than ever? Yeah, the number one thing I think, I don't know if you've heard this as well, is that people think they're working much more <laughs> than they ever have now that working from home. It just feels like one long day. So we've been, it's been a focus actually, not just from me, but the entire exec team, because we've been feeling, we've been hearing it and we've been feeling it for them as well. So the first thing that we did, obviously we got them home safely. We made sure that they were comfortable and, and were able to be up and running. For example, like countries like India, they, you know, Wi-Fi is an issue. So we wanted to make sure that was all taken care of. Once that happened and, you know, everybody was working still super hard at high speed, it was crazy. Um, we made sure, I, I actually met with each team, um, literally with all of them and in smaller groups and first asked like, what is it that we want, you know, what is it that you need? What is it that that's not working for you, what's working. As a company, we took a pulse survey um, and we're, we're doing it again to see, you know, are, are the teams working well together virtually, right? Um, we, we are already a distributed, global distributed company, but there's many that work in the office still. And so we wanted to make sure that people were getting meetings, were getting FaceTime with their manager, with, they were getting the access that they needed, the equipment that they needed. Took a pulse survey, my team have been holding these happy hours. So we all do, you know, we've been integrating um, different organizations within each other, not one big one, because it gets to be a little hard on, as you can notice, we use Zoom and it's just hard to have a conversation when there's like more than 20, yeah, totally. <laughs> more than 10 even. So we're doing these smaller ones. One was like a dress up. One other one we did, uh, you know, we've been using like Kahoot trivia. Another one we've been, um, 
someone took their team on a safari. So they did a virtual safari. Um, we've been hosting weekly how to do cooking food and, and drinks. And <laughs> so it's been entertaining, but we've been doing it weekly. So um, I get invited to all of them and I try to attend as many as I can. And we've been doing a woman in Zscaler. I've been hosting those for our um, female employees to kind of just chit chat and hang out and no agenda. It's just to, to have a conversation. So it's been working. And what we've learned is like, why didn't we do this before? We've always been geographically dispersed. Why did it take a virus to, to force us to bring in people from different countries together? Um, so that I hope will not stop because I love that. And I think people who are usually behind the scenes and don't get to be part of the office kind of, you know, when you're yeah. in the office, you get to have some more fun and get together afterwards. Now we're kind of bringing them along. And I said, gosh, it took that to make us do it. So that was pretty eye opening and something hopefully we keep. Yeah. One of the pieces of advice I got um, a handful of years ago was that uh, if one person on your team is remote, your whole team is remote. Um, and I always thought that that was so true. It's like, because I was, I was a remote employee, um, back in the day and with a company that was headquartered somewhere else. And it's just, you feel so detached, right? And, uh, and you just miss so much stuff by not being there. So it's kind of like it, it, your whole culture has to be remote as soon as you have people. I mean, and you look at some companies where it's like, you know, if you have, if you have, uh, you know, 40 floors in your office building, um, you know, nobody from floor 17 and 25 know each other anyways. So, um, you know, you even in the same building, right? We've also implemented things like, um, you know, make sure your video is always on. And, you know, there's little things that we've been enforcing um, to make sure that that interaction happens. So now no one's embarrassed, right? When we first started this, everyone, if a cat walked through or a dog walked by or their child kind of interrupted them, everyone was embarrassed. And now it's just, you know, we're part of a bigger family and their family is part of our family. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty cool. And I think it's, it's put a little kind of a, a layer down or a shield down a little bit to, to bring everyone closer together for this reason. You know, it's funny. So in my time in the military, we, um, it's like mandatory for leaders to do checks on your where your soldiers live, right? Because like you learn a lot about them. Um, and obviously that's a very military thing. But it's funny how as you as you get, um, you know, the civilian world is completely different from that where it's like, it's almost the exact opposite where it's like, even inviting people over to your house is awkward for a lot of people um, in any form or fashion. So now with, with technology, it's like we're invited into each other's homes and it's such a personal experience. Um but it's kind of cool. And like, obviously there's a million things that are negative about it, but uh, it, it's cool to see where, where other people live and, and uh, see what art is hanging on their walls and get to know them a little bit more. Very true. And even our CEO who is always on a plane and is always either on a plane or in a conference room, he doesn't even have an off a desk. He just, I mean, doesn't have an office. He has just a desk in a cube like all of us. And um, cause he's never there. And having him show his home or be at his home and just kind of put his guard down is just huge in terms of um, bringing the, the company together. So it's it, it, some silver lining that has come out of this. Well, let's get into our lightning round. Our lightning round questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, 
you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn about how Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. That's salesforce.com slash marketing. Check them out. They've been here since the very beginning of this podcast and we love them. Lightning round questions. Micheline, are you ready? I am ready, I think. <laughs> Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? I have to tell you, Candy Crush. <laughs> I use it on my plane. <laughs> this is my, I'm waiting around to get on a plane. That's what I use. <laughs> what is your best life or career hack? This really cool wine bottle opener. I cannot live without it. I take it everywhere. <laughs> oh, interesting. That's a good one. I'll have to send you one. Send you a word, the link. Yeah. I was like, man, I'll take a free wine bottle opener. Geez, that's very, no. Yeah, the link is probably a little bit more, uh, <laughs> a little bit more shelter in place friendly anyways. What about a book or a podcast that you've read or listened to recently that you've particularly enjoyed? There's a, quite a few of them. The, the recent one I've had, gosh, were um, from Andy Lane. That's been a really good one um, that I've enjoyed listening. It's been about marketing. What's your best advice for a first-time CMO? Patience and communication. So make sure you communicate everything that um, you are doing internally and externally. Let everyone know what's happening and the results. And be patient because everyone knows marketing and everyone loves to have input on marketing. So be very patient on the feedback and um, listen and um, evolve. Where's the first place you're traveling to after the uh, shelter in place is lifted? Any beach. <laughs> Santa Cruz is going to be packed. That is for sure. I I'll try to get away from there because I, I agree with you, but um, we definitely want to hit, hit the beach. Final question. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing? The impact we're making. The We continue to add um, more information on how the value of marketing is um, contributing to the overall business. And I think it's when I see people like my own CEO and our own CRO really align with what we're doing and um, we're together planning um, how we move forward, that's exciting to me. It's no longer marketing as an events team or anything like that. It becomes a strategic player. I think we need to continue to push that forward and, and that excites me where um, marketing can play and the, the, the impact it can have on the business. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for joining and uh, we'll talk soon. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. 
The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.